The Mitchell's Front Page Podcast is brought to you by Geelong Bank. Listen live on 94.7 The Pulse, Mondays and Tuesdays from 9 till 11. On the line now we have a state MP for Western Victoria, Beverly MacArthur. Good morning. Good morning, Mitch. How are you? Good. Well, thank you for being on the program. We've made it to the final time for this year. Um, the year in review, when we reflect back on 2021, what do you think we'll remember? I think we'll remember extraordinary draconian measures to lock us all down um, uh, over a pandemic that is still continuing um, when we have a flu virus, uh, you know, rampant in some areas, but we've had to learn to live with it. And perhaps we should have done that earlier on instead of uh, risking lives, livelihoods, businesses, you know, unbelievable number of suicides, domestic violence through the roof, etc. Now, in terms of the pandemic legislation, I'm assuming you were you wouldn't have been exempt from being involved in that very lengthy sitting in the Legislative Council debating that legislation. What was that like sitting for that amount of time? Um, it, it was an amazing experience, actually. I went into the chamber at 11.30 on Tuesday morning and I never left the chamber until one o'clock on the Wednesday afternoon. My goodness. Except for meal a couple of meal breaks and a f- two or three 15-minute breaks. I did not return to my office. I stayed in the chamber for the entire time. I put over 60 questions to the minister on the detail of the legislation. I spoke on several clauses. Um, you know, I, I, I was just there trying to extract out of the government um, the detail of, of what what all this meant. Mind you, we didn't get very far and the whole thing was a fait accompli uh, because uh, uh, the fourth crossbencher um, completely dudded everybody else. Andy Medic was on the program last week talking about it and he attributes that long sitting time to what he calls time-wasting tactics by the opposition. Is the opposition just sort of there trying to uh, delay the inevitable? Oh, I'm sure that's what Andy Medic would say. He obviously has no concern for the people that he's locked down and locked up uh, more than any other city or country in the world. No other uh, jurisdiction imposed the extraordinary levels of control over people's lives for the length of time that Dan Andrews did. And, uh, you know, Andy Medic, Fiona Patton and Samantha Ratton, they went along with all this extraordinarily. Samantha and Fiona are responsible for all those people in the Housing Commission towers that they locked down about a minute's notice. Uh, they had, they were in the city of Melbourne where curfews were imposed. I mean, that doesn't happen anywhere else in the world unless there's a war, uh, but it happened in Melbourne. Uh, the most locked down city in the world. What a reputation. And he's he's aided and abetted it. He ought to be ashamed of himself. I was reading some of the commentary about that long sitting and it's been discussed by experts, the impacts of fatigue on decision making. And they've suggested, I think the TAC, it's like being over 0.05 once you've been awake for a certain amount of hours. Is there a way the parliamentary process could handle it better that doesn't involve you having to sit in parliament for that length of time? Because clearly at one o'clock in the afternoon if you've been there since 11am the morning before, you're not going to be on top of your game uh, Well I think we were all on top of our game but the, the government had every opportunity to uh, 
move it to subsequent days. They refused. That was put to them. Uh, absolutely, it could have been done in a civilised manner. They weren't interested. Do you think and neither, neither was Mr Medic. So for him to talk about uh, the unreasonable nature of doing it, he was responsible for making sure that we, we didn't have sensible sitting hours in that week. Was the challenge, though, that the parliament was closing, I think, for the year on the Thursday, so the government was almost out of time, and they said, well, if we don't get this legislation through now, um, we're not going to be able to stop people from coming in from overseas with Omnicrom, etc." What a load of rubbish. Um, when they brought it in in the sitting before, it was urgent legislation that had to be dealt with that day, that week. Uh, but then all the courts, they found out they didn't have the numbers because Mr. Shomrak said he'd turn up and vote against it. Oh, so all of a sudden it wasn't sudden. It had to be taken away and redrafted so they could get the numbers and get another crossbencher over the line. It wasn't mentioned at all, obviously. Uh, and what's more, uh, as for closing down the parliament, that's a load of rubbish as well. We sat on the Friday in any case. We can always go back. Uh, and sit in Parliament. After all, this government actually doesn't want anybody sitting in Parliament. That's half the problem. Uh, do you think the legislation has improved? You mentioned that redrafting process, which presumably was enough to get Rod Barton on side to get them the numbers they needed. Is it a better piece of legislation now because of that than what it was initially when the government was trying to get it through? No, they've been duped. It's no better. Uh, the, the, the government still have the power... Um, to order lockdowns without any real scrutiny or advice. I mean, going for a joint sitting of both houses under this regime would not make a swat of difference. Uh, the government have the numbers, so that's a farcical. Uh, you know, having Sark uh, do more scrutiny, that's also farcical. That went. Uh, but there's a, a committee formed. Oh, that's a put-up job as well. No, there's no more scrutiny and the fact that they can still um, uh, cause a lockdown in Victoria without one case is extraordinary. In terms of uh, pre-selections and, of course, next year is an election year, it seems to be lots going on with pre-selections on both sides of the House with uh, Labor, I think, announcing basically their Lara, Lara candidate. They've still got to, I think, be endorsed, but uh, only one person is nominated for that position. A few Liberal Party pre-selections going on as well. Um, any particular highlights of note from your point of view? Uh, well, you know, the Liberal Party pre-selections are at least uh, democratic the Labor Party pre-selections are a joke. There aren't any. It's, uh, you know, a few people uh, sitting around a smoke-filled room making decisions, as far as I can see, and the uh, the bloodletting that's occurred uh, will be interesting to, to watch in real time next February when we return. How do you feel going into an election year next year? Because I'd imagine seats like South Bowen and maybe to some extent Ballerine would have to be on your radar as the opposition if you want any chance of getting the numbers of seats required to then get a majority informed government. So some pretty big seat gains required. Oh, absolutely. We have uh, huge uh, electoral obstacles to overcome and uh, we'll be doing everything possible to make sure uh, the people of South Bowen, Ballerine and every other place in Victoria are fully aware of exactly what this government's done to them and what they propose to do in the future. And, uh, you know, we'll have uh, a better alternative. 
Um, the Minister for Loneliness, this was, I believe, a proposal mm. put forward by Fiona Patton, one of the crossbenchers who I believe supported the government with the pandemic legislation. What would the Minister for Loneliness be responsible for overseeing and I suppose how would they improve people's lives? Well, very good question, Mitch. I mean, how ironic that she puts up a, a motion which the government uh, voted for because I called the division and the government were forced then to vote in support of this ridiculous idea. Now, why is there? Why are people lonely? Because this government has created loneliness like, you know, no other uh, government in the world because they've locked people down and isolated them. Uh, so we, we create another ministry to solve a problem that was created by government? No. The most important thing you could do is get out of people's lives, stop locking them up and locking them down, stopping <clears throat> grandparents from taking their children to playgrounds, uh, you know, mandates that discriminate against people for no good reason outside the health and education sectors, uh, and to then suggest you need another ministry which comes with, no doubt, a commissioner for loneliness. I mean, next thing we'll need a, a ministry for happiness or, a, you know, I'd rather have a ministry to get out of our lives. That'd be more useful. It what extraordinary situation uh, where we go down this path. You know, the, the one thing uh, that governments should do is enable people to live their lives uh, freely and happily instead of... Uh, uh, imposing outrageous uh, edicts on them. Now, a while back, there was a lot of talk about the container deposit scheme, and I think things have gone a bit quiet on that front. But I do mm. see a statement from you with a bit of an update about the container deposit scheme. Well, here's another extraordinary piece of activity. I asked the Minister for Local Government in the chamber, which, of course, he, he had no idea what I was talking about, so I rambled on the most outrageous fashion. Um, local uh, councils, CEOs and officers have basically been asked to sign a confidentiality agreement that they cannot discuss with their councils, let alone council laws, let alone the ratepayers, as to what negotiations they're involved with in, in government so that we could have you know, basically multinational companies running all the container deposit schemes uh, around Victoria, or one or two, no local businesses may be able to be involved. Local councils don't know what their officers are signing off on. Uh, and also, uh, they don't know what costs they might be up for. They can't compare costs between one council or another or one uh, operator or another. <clears throat> it was outrageous um, that th this is the, the way this government does business. Is the opposition broadly supportive of this container deposit scheme or is it now pretty much a foregone conclusion that it will be happening regardless of what happens? Yes, we, we support any form of recycling basically. I mean, that's a good thing. Uh, but, but what we need is a totally transparent process of how we're going to actually do it. Um, not something that's being done where people <laughs> have to sign confidentiality agreements so they can't even inform their elected representatives what discussions they're having with government or their agencies. And finally, you've got a bit of an update on the Brumby situation, which we've checked in a few times on with you this yeah. year. Yeah, well, here's, here's a, a, another interesting scenario. Um, the, the government are hell-bent 
on eradicating Brumbies from all their parks and high country and so on. Brumbies were never an issue when we had mountain cattle farmers, uh, you know, old and ill and injured horses were humanely removed. This government wants to shoot Brumbies from the air. Now, there can be no more inhumane way of doing it. In fact, it defies all uh, uh, animal welfare codes. I don't know where Andy Medic is on this. Um, he talks about rehoming, but actually the government have rejected many applications for rehoming. So the other day uh, I was with um, numbers of Brumby Alliance uh, uh, advocates. After all, they've collected petitions of more than 180,000 Victorians who are opposed to this ridiculous nonsense. Uh, and we uh, handed over uh, a document to Lily D'Ambrosio, well, at least hand, put it through the doorway with umpteen number of police surrounding uh, everybody uh, to, to get on the minister's desk to say, here is some legislation that would uh, have a proper management uh, program with local involvement of how to manage the, the Brumbies uh, without eradicating them and with no aerial shooting, which is anybody knows how you need to, uh, you know, end the life of a, a large animal like a horse. You don't, you don't do it with a shotgun from the air or a sharpshooter. Um, it's got to be at very close range. It's it, it through the head. So they die, uh, you know, a long, cruel death, bleed to death, often foals are separated. They were planning to do it during the foaling season. Um, and, you know, anyway, it has been stopped uh, at the moment, uh, not that it won't be introduced again. Uh, but really the problem of of the environment in these areas is not caused by brumbies. There's hundreds of thousands of feral deer, pigs, dogs, cats, foxes, noxious weeds out of control, totally out of control. And actually horses do graze the area and it, it help reduce fire risk. But no... This government's got an ideological objection, along with anti-medic and others, uh, to horses because they represent a historical aspect of Australia's development, um, the colonial era where, you know, horses were used before we had vehicles and, and machinery. Uh, and they, and they, of course, don't want to talk about the aspect of how our horses served our soldiers in wartime. Uh, they'd like to eradicate that part of history. This is an ideological war. If they were really concerned about the environment, they'd first get rid of all the other, uh, nonsense that's occurring in these parks that have been locked up and the keys thrown away. Nobody's allowed into half of them. They keep closing down public land areas. Um, uh, to so-called have a pristine environment. Well, it's anything but pristine, I can tell you. Just very, very quickly, um, I hear there's talk about dingoes potentially coming mm. back. I know Andy Medic is uh, in favour of this proposal. Uh, I hear it's been discussed this morning. Um, do you have a view on whether dingoes should be introduced? I'm uh, totally opposed to it. And uh, it, it, it has come up in various inquiries I've been on. It's a nonsense a dingo does not discriminate between a, a, a wild a wallaby or a, some small native animal, which and a lamb. Are you serious? Uh, and these 
the some of the finest wool breeders in Australia, in the world, are on the edge of the Grampians. And that's where they propose to have this trial, in inverted commas, uh, program of introducing dingoes. Again, this is uh, nonsense ideology emanating from Andy Medic on all those idiots inside the tram tracks of Melbourne. Well, thanks for being on the program. We appreciate your contribution, not just this year, but uh, you've been a regular contributor since the 2018 election and even before that. So thank you so much. A pleasure, Mitch. Happy Christmas to everyone. Thank you very much. Beverly MacArthur with us there, the state MP for Western Victoria. The Mitchell's Front Page Podcast is brought to you by Geelong Bank. Listen live on 94.7 The Pulse, Mondays and Tuesdays from 9 to 11. Or search for Mitchell's Front Page on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or wherever you get your podcasts.